836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, interesting day in baseball. The Cubs, the Brewers, and the Rockies all lose, but the Brewers still in the thick of a pennant chase. Ten games remaining. They are one game behind the Rockies in the race for the second wild card spot. Three and a half games behind the Cubs. And the Cubs come to Milwaukee for a big four-game series this evening starting at the game starts at 710. Our coverage starts earlier than that. You can hear all the games if you can't get out to the stadium. I'm going to the game tonight. Very much looking forward to that. One of the things that I'm always aware of, particularly when I'm fortunate enough to be able to get tickets in that that first level, the field level, um, and and I like to sit. I mean, obviously, I'm like everybody else. I like to sit as close as I can to being behind home plate. Um, but, you know, sometimes you end up having to go down the, the lines a little bit. Last couple times I have been, I've been in one of the sections that is protected by that screen. But even with the screen, you have to be aware of, of foul balls because the balls can go over the top of the screen and still land on you. So you have to be paying attention. But it does protect you from the balls that come back really fast, the foul balls. As you go further down the baselines, the, the screens do not extend. Now, you might remember a couple years ago, 2015, there was a woman who, at Miller Park, was hit in the face by a line drive, and the result was, um, I think I was, I was trying to do some follow-up, I think she lost the sight in one of her two eyes. But but there were that was one of two very high-profile situations where people were hit by foul balls. As a result, Major League Baseball recommended extending the netting um, like 70 feet from home plate. And and so I think that's where it is at Miller Park. Still, as I recall at Miller Park, I don't think the protective netting goes all the way to the dugout. I mean, I, I think about where Mark Atanasio sits, the owner, right by first base. And I don't think there's protective netting in, in front of of him. And, of course, what happens is you have the, these foul balls that leave the bat at a very, very high rate of speed. And they get into the stands at a very high rate of speed. Now, the trade-off between, with protection is that, you know, people, at least some people say they don't like looking through the net. For me, I, after I'm there for five minutes, I forget that I'm looking through a net. It doesn't bother me at all. But some people say, no, that spoils the experience. It makes it difficult to get foul balls, whatever. I bring this up because yesterday afternoon, the New York Yankees and the Minnesota Twins were playing. The New York Yankees are one of the teams that made no effort to extend their screens. Um, so uh, what happens yesterday is one of the players is batting, hits a foul ball. It's a rocket down the third baseline. It goes into the stands kind of behind the dugout. And there's apparently a two-year-old girl that is hit in the head with with the ball. If you want to see the video as it was on TV, and like I say, it's not overly graphic. You can't actually see the impact, and you don't see the little girl. What you see is the ball going into that area, and then you see people jumping around and waving. Um, you can text the word FOUL, F-O-U-L, to 414-799-1620, and we'll, we'll send you the videos that appeared on television. Um, but but afterwards, a number of the ball players are, are saying, and of course the ball players feel horrible about this too. Nobody wants to see this happen. The ball players are saying, you know, we we this happens all the time. You know, we watch these things all the time, and it's just you know after a while you can't even look because these balls go into the stands so very quickly. Now here's the numbers. I pulled out a story that actually appeared in the Atlanta newspaper. This is what they say: they estimate that 1,750 spectators at Major League g- games 
That's 23.7 fans per every 1 million in attendance are injured annually by batted balls, mostly foul balls. That goes back to 2014. Um, Typically, the injury is minor, like a bruised hand or bloody lip, but a small number are more serious, and those victims tend to be children, like happened yesterday. So again, the the estimate is for every 1 million people that attend a game, 23.7 are going to be injured by a batted ball. Again, not all those injuries, most of those injuries are going to be minor, but the ones that are major are catastrophic oftentimes, and they tend to be children. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, hockey long ago recognized that they had a problem with hockey pucks, you know, these big hard chunks of rubber flying into the stands and hitting people. So hockey has, in general, put up more netting to try to stop those pucks from flying into the crowd. And I don't hear a lot of from hockey fans complaining about, oh, gee, we can't see the game, we can't enjoy the game. I understand the argument that if you go and you sit close, you have to pay attention. But there, the truth of the matter is there are limits on that. You can't be paying that type of attention every second of the game. You're turning your head to talk to somebody. You're buying the hot dog, whatever. Um, also, if you've got kids that are there, well, all right, you, you can't say to the kid, here, I, I want you paying attention every second. So 414-799-1620, I and you feel free to disagree with me because, again, I, I understand that the argument is, well, you can't be bubble wrapped. This is a risk you take. I think Major League Baseball would be doing a good thing to further extend the nets to provide more protection for the people who are spending the money to sit in the up-close seats. And honestly, I hear people say it would ruin the experience. I don't like looking through the net. I don't think it would be that big a deal. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Major League Baseball require stadiums to extend nets farther than they do? If you had done this at Yankee Stadium, I don't know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but that little girl probably wouldn't have been hit in the face with a 105-mile-an-hour foul ball. All right, do we need more netting? 414-799-1620. It's 843. If you're on the line, please hold on. Like I say, if you want to see the video, you can also text the word FOUL, F-O-U-L, to that number, 414-799-1620, and we'll send you the video from TV. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 847. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here's our text line. You might recall the NHL had no protective netting until a young girl was struck and killed by a puck. The net soon went up. Major League Baseball shouldn't wait for a similar tragedy to better protect fans. You know, I I agree. Let's see. Here's another one of our texts. Extend the nets. A spectator can't be expected to pay attention all the time. And how will they get out of the way of a 104-mile-an-hour foul ball with pro athletes having sometimes having a hard time fielding a 104-mile-an-hour ball? 414-799-1620. Shannon in Waukesha. Shannon, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, I was actually hit in the head with a ball, a foul ball, when I was, I'm going to guess, six, seven, eight years old, something like that, uh, back at County Stadium. And uh, luckily, mine was not severe. Right. Uh, I just had a a goose egg for about a week or so, a little bit of bleeding. Do you uh, remember where you were sitting? Oh. I mean, first base, I know it was side, a foul base. ball, okay, but honestly, I yeah, I don't remember where I was sitting. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I do agree that I think they should extend the netting. And if someone thinks that 
it's going to impede their enjoyment of the game, you know, they should pick another seat. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I will tell you, I, I, I am fortunate enough sometimes when I get invited to games or some of the, the seats that WTMJ has, they're, 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 we used to have, I don't know if we still do because they didn't sit in this year, but they were right at the edge of where the netting ended. They were like, like literally two seats over from where the netting ended. And I have to tell you, I mean, they're great seats. But I, whenever I would get them, I'd be really on edge because I see how fast those balls come back. And it's, I mean, I pay attention to games, but there are times when I'm looking at my watch or looking at my cell phone or talking to the guy next to me. And, and even so, even if you say pay attention, I'm not sure my reflexes are good enough when you're as close as some of these seats are. Right. Yeah. And at six or seven years old, I, I was. I was definitely not paying good attention to the game. I, I think I was more upset that the person who caught the ball behind me didn't give it to me because I was knocked in the head with it. You got hit in the head and they didn't even give you the ball? No, they uh. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the call, Shannon. I'm, I'm glad you survived. But and, and that's like these numbers I was giving you where they average, they say about 23 people per million attendees. And look, and I understand statistically that is a that is a statistically extremely small number. And of those 23 per 1 million, most of the injuries are, are minor. They're, they're uh, you know, bloody lip. They're, you know, bruised hands or, or whatever. But when they are bad, they are catastrophic. Like I say, the woman two years ago got hit in Miller Park, and I, I think she lost eyesight in one of her eyes. I think that was what the follow-up to that was. Um, this little two-year-old girl, they're, they're not releasing any medical information, but um, at least some of the New York papers are saying that she's going to have to have some form of surgery. Peter in Waupon. Peter, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I uh, also believe that they should probably extend the mess on all stadiums and have the billion-dollar Yankees probably pay for all of them. <laughs> well, they could... Um yeah, I mean, thanks. They, I mean, they they certainly could afford this. Now, look, I understand the flip side of this is that there are people who pay a lot of money. You're talking about the highest, well, I, with the exception perhaps of some of the boxes. Let's put the box. Let's let's take the luxury boxes out. You're talking about the highest priced tickets in the stadium, and so there's a lot of people who feel very very strongly. That if they're going to pay all that money, they don't want anything. They don't want anything between them and the field. They don't want the net to impede them. They want the access to the foul balls, all those type of things. And I understand that's what they say now until their kid gets whacked with the 104-mile-an-hour ball. Let's talk to Rick in Heartland. Rick, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? Well, we share season tickets we happen to sit right behind the brewers on deck circle about nine or ten rows back right and over the years my wife has been hit by a ball at that time they gave her a bat and that same season she was hit by a flying bat and they gave her a ball okay it's kind of fun they have uh put the net up this season in front of our area we love it we're happy we're much more comfortable and extending it a little farther would be a good idea. Right. So it doesn't. And so I'm, I'm okay. So you are you attend games regularly. So yeah. you have a sense of comparison between with the net and without the net. And your experience, it, it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the game having that net in front of you. Not at all. You get used to it, and we're quite frankly a little bit more comfortable now that it's there. I, you know, I, I will tell you that's again that's how I feel as well. The last couple times I've gone to the games, I've sat behind home plate, and, and there's been that net. And I'm I'm kind of glad to have it there. With after five minutes, I forget that I'm looking through a net. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of the game, and I do know I can relax a little bit because that ball's not going to come back and whack me if I. 
I, I mean, I don't know. My reflexes aren't necessarily even good enough when you sit close, even if you are paying attention. I'm not sure how you get out of the way. Even if you even if you haven't had a beer. Even if you haven't had a beer, right? Right. Thanks for going. Or thanks. I mean, or what happens is if you're if you're carrying if you're sitting there and you've got your beer in your hand, um, I just I, I get to me this is a simple safety matter, and whether it, it's the Brewers and the Brewers, I think follow Major League Baseball's guidelines. My understanding is the Yankees don't, but I think this is one where you know, given the catastrophic nature of what can happen. I think those nets need to be extended farther than they are. I'm not sure how far down the lines you have to go, but you look at I mean you look at this image and what happened yesterday and it's not atypical. I thought it was so interesting because they did the interviews with the players and and the players were just all saying we we need more protection. This happens all the time. They're quoting one of the guys, I think he plays first base and he was saying, "Look, this I I can't even look anymore with these foul balls because this you know, this is a regular occurrence. Why don't they put up netting? I think that's a very good question. It's 8.53. Big story number two is coming up. It pains me to say this. Mark the tape. BD, who's producing the show today. Tom Barrett is right. He's got the wrong reasons, but he's right. Stick around. It's 8.54. It's 8.57. Jeff Wagner, 6.1 WTMJ. Um, here's a text that I want to share. Give the other side of the story. I despise sitting behind a neck net at a baseball game. The charm of baseball is an unobstructed field. Don't punish me because fans make unwise decisions on where they sit. Parents of the little girl should have chosen to sit elsewhere at a warning when selling those seats and at a game. Well, I, I mean, okay, they were sitting in the first level, you know, 15 or 20 rows behind the dugout. I don't know, at a warning? I, I, I mean, but it's not just kids that, that get hurt. I mean, like I say, two years ago, you had a woman at Miller Park, uh, an adult. She gets hit in the head, um, and again, I think she lost her sight in one eye. So it's just, I understand that some people feel punished, I guess, and don't like the view through the nets, but I think it's just a safety measure, just like the NHL now has nets to protect people from having the pucks go flying into the crowd. All right, big story number two. Now, I we, we talked about this a little bit when before the committee vote two days ago, and it generated a huge email response, including including some of the best, that would be nastiest, hate email that I have gotten in a long time. I mean, just really really kind of nasty stuff which makes me wonder gee i mean why what possesses people to send certain types of email but that's a whole nother story um i fought for years on the radio arguing for a concealed carry bill in the state of wisconsin and and finally 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 we became the 49th state out of 50 to pass concealed carry the way it works now you can apply if you do not have a criminal record you can apply for a concealed carry permit you pay whatever the money is and then you have to take a training class it doesn't require firearms proficiency but it does explain to you your rights and obligations as a as a concealed carry permit holder you get the permit you are then allowed to carry a concealed firearm there is a move afoot being driven by some ultra-conservative Republicans to do away with the concealed carry law. Not to say that people can't carry concealed firearms, but to say that everybody can care, who is legally allowed to carry a firearm can walk around with a concealed gun without a permit. Mayor Barrett has come down against it. He's right. It's for the wrong reasons. But we're going to start off with big thing number two right there. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this law is, 
I think it is the gangster's friend. I think it is one of the most anti-police things I have ever seen. I think there is no purpose to it at all. In other words, I think it is bad, bad, bad public policy that should not see the light of the day in the state Senate, shouldn't get a hearing in the state assembly, and Governor Walker should run, run, run away from this. 414-699-1620, we discuss right after the news. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. Wagner, uh, two days ago, a state Senate committee on a three to two vote along party lines forwarded a bill to the Senate, which would eliminate the state's concealed carry requirements. You will remember the battle that so many of us fought to get law abiding citizens the right to carry concealed firearms. And, and in Wisconsin, it's really easy. I mean, you, you apply for a permit. There is a background check to make sure you're legally allowed to own a firearm. You take a couple-hour uh, course that doesn't even require proficiency training. It just explains to your obligations. Then you get your permit, and you're off to the races. This bill would not eliminate the right to concealed carry, but instead it would eliminate the permitting right. So it would say, if you want to walk around with a gun stuck in your waistband, Go ahead. You don't need a permit, no background check, no nothing. Now, I think this is disastrous public policy. First of all, I, I, nobody has been able to explain, give me a good reason as to why you need this, other than, well, you should have an absolute right to carry guns wherever you want. I think, uh, now Tom Barrett says he, he doesn't like this because it's going to put more guns on the street. I don't know that it's going to put more guns on the street. What I do believe is it is going to embolden criminals. This is the gangbanger, we are the gangbanger's friend bill, because what this means is people who don't have a criminal record now can just stick that gun in their waistband and they can walk around with impunity. It's going to make law enforcement's job a lot tougher. And, and for what reason? I mean, seriously, for what reason? Plus, I will tell you something else. I think this is the type of bill which appeals to, I, I guess, the, the hardcore gun rights advocates, but is going to end up turning off a lot of the general public to the idea of firearms owners' rights. And again, I keep coming back to the same notion. For what? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I uh, like the Second Amendment. I'm a big supporter. Like, someone breaks in your house in the middle of the night, I think you shoot first, ask questions later. But this... I'm sorry, Clint, your, your cell phone is breaking up there. I, I mean, look, I... I Here's the thing. The the concealed per carry permit requirement at least gives law enforcement and authorities some some semblance and some control over who are walking around carrying a concealed weapon. I don't believe the Second Amendment is, abs- Amendment is absolute. Felons can't carry guns. I don't have a problem with that. If you're going to own a bazooka at your house, there's all sorts of different rules and regulations and permits that you have to get. It is not an absolute type of situation. And candidly, I think a lot of this, a lot of people, just like the people who walk around with the uh, 
with the weapons and decide to walk into the farmer's market in Appleton or the people that walk around with the long guns on sidewalks trying to provoke confrontations with police because neighbors see them and they call. Just like I think that sets the cause of gun owners' rights back, I think legislation like this does as well. Let's talk to Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Great topic. You hit the nail on the head. I'll tell you, I'm a concealing carry, and I can't get enough information on it. If this bill passes, it'll be the downfall of Wisconsin, and others will lead up to it. Um, I, I, I'm just appalled that it made it two to three. I mean, what idiot thought of this bill? I, well, mean, I mean, this is being pushed by the hardcore firearms rights advocates who say, you shouldn't that the government has no business at all telling you what you do with your gun and i just i don't i, I don't go that far i, I just think I, that's i think politically that's a dumb position to take exactly i mean it, it's the downfall if you ask me it's the downfall of concealing carry the other thing is is this state should have a mandatory 60 rounds and a two day class i mean yeah. um, it's a privilege to carry a firearm and it, there's a lot of um, responsibility behind it that people don't know about. I go into some of these stores and I see these guys selling women, women's, you know, guns that can't even pull a slide back. But to get back on the topic, yeah, this bill is insane. Um, if it passes, we have to do something about this because, like I said, it'll be the downfall of carrying concealment in the state. Um, thanks. Well, that that is, again, that is that is. The concern that I have with regard to with regard to this entire thing, and again, to to what purpose? What are we trying to accomplish by this? The, the practical effect of this is that look, it, it's not hard to get a concealed carry permit now. Anybody who wants a concealed carry permit can get one. So, what is this going to do? This is now going to embolden the people, in my opinion, who might be inclined to commit f- crimes with firearms. Now, hey, we don't need to have the concealed carry permit. Let's stick the gun in our waistband. Let's stick the gun in our pocket. We'll have it around. And if the police officers try to stop us to investigate things, well, all right, then we're going to be in a position where, you know, we we can scream that we were being singled out or, or whatever. This, it's just... It's just for so many reasons, at least in my opinion, it is an ill-conceived law. And if the only reason justifying it is, well, you should have a right to do it, well, no, you don't necessarily have an absolute right to do it. And, you know, I I don't know. I understand the NRA is behind this. I am sympathetic to a lot of the stuff that the NRA tries to accomplish. But it is this absolutism that I think really backfires. And this is the type of legislation that I think can just backfire a backfire big time. I'm guessing, and I'm just say guessing, I'm guessing that this isn't going to get a full hearing. I'm guessing that this bill is going to get buried in the Senate or certainly in the Assembly. The last thing you necessarily want to do in an election year from a political perspective is put the governor in a position where he has to either sign or veto something that's going to divide you know, some of his supporters. But you know, whether this happens or not, I don't know. But I'm just saying bad, 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 bad idea. Concentrate on stuff that really really is going to protect society. Um, I think this, quite candidly, is pro-criminal legislation, and it should be killed. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, oh, the people are out. Russia, 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 Russia. Now we've got Trump. 
I don't know. We're going we're gonna to talk about the latest developments and ask whether you really still care about this. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, big story number three. And I understand for the anti-Trump crowd, this is just absolutely red meat. I get a half dozen emails from folks. Well, actually, um, it's actually only one or two people who still care about this. But they care about it quite a bit. So I get five or six or seven emails a day from one or two people about this. Oh, Trump is going down. This is it. Look, now now the special counsel is really after him. Um, the latest developments are the, the former Trump campaign manager, Paul Manafort, was apparently under investigation by the FBI. for He, he was a consultant before he worked for the Trump campaign. And he was a consultant who worked... Um, for a number of people, including some foreign um, nationals. And um, he was apparently under investigation by the FBI. Nothing came of it. Apparently nothing came of it. There were some wiretaps involving him that were approved by the, the federal, not the federal courts, but the, the, the national security type of wiretaps. But again, nothing has come of that other than the fact that now the special counsel is apparently looking at these to try to determine whether there's crimes. There was a search warrant executed at Manafort's house, and this is the John Chisholm tactic. You take somebody who's a white-collar criminal, um, and you treat them like they are a, a drug dealer. You kick in the door of their house. You threaten them with indictment. You try to get them to cooperate, and um, if you don't, you end up charging them. Um, and that's apparently the tactics have been, that have been used for Paul Manafort. So far, nothing appears to tie him in or to tie the Trump campaign with anything that they're looking at. And he's actually um, starting to fight back. He's saying, look, if I was a subject of wiretapping, um, th- this is somebody in the Justice Department, somebody in the special counsel's office, somebody with knowledge of this leaked this information to CNN. My rights were violated. I've done nothing wrong. They should release any transcripts or any tapes they have. Let the public hear it, and then whoever leaked the stuff should, in fact, be prosecuted. Um, Again, it appears they're looking at Manafort, though. Um, There's allegations that at one point in time he was apparently owed a bunch of money by one of these Russians that he did business with. And there's an an email where he apparently offered to set up a a briefing that, that he was going to conduct with people from Russia, and I don't think it ever occurred, but that's what they're looking at. So far, and again, we, we only know what's what's public, but it appears that the special counsel's office, just like John Chisholm's office when it comes, comes to that discredited John Doe, is leaking like a, a sieve, or at least people with knowledge of what the special prosecutor is doing are leaking like a sieve, but still, you've got... Again, these people, okay, this is going to bring Trump down. But really, we're even if you look at it and you look at the former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, you're you're way, 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 way away from from anything with the the Trump campaign, um, period. I I think beyond that, aside from the people who are, are deep into Trump derangement syndrome, I think the general public has moved on. 
Now, I understand that there's some people who just hope, 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 hope that the president gets brought down. But given what's going on with Iran and given what's going on with the natural disasters and given what's going on with North Korea and given health care and all these things, I think a lot of people have just simply moved on. And when they hear, okay, the ongoing thing with Russia, 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 their, their eyes just glaze over. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has the Russia investigation, has it jumped the shark? And outside the interests of, I don't know, some of the, the most, the, the biggest Trump haters, the people with the, the real anti-Trump derangement syndrome, and of course some people in the mainstream media who I would include that category in. Do you care about the Russia investigation absent some really firm evidence, for example, that the president himself colluded with the Russians to help defeat Hillary Clinton? And I don't think anybody really thinks there's evidence of that out there. Has the Russia investigation jumped the shark? 414-799-1620. We're back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 923. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. All right. This ongoing investigation into whether there was collusion on the part of President Trump with Russia appears to be going nowhere as far as linking it to President Trump. The special counsel is using information that apparently the FBI gleaned um, involving his campaign manager who had ongoing dealings with Russian business people for years before Donald Trump even announced that he was running for president. And I mean, I don't know what's going to come of the contacts that Manafort has. They apparently did a search warrant at his house. They used those again, John Chisholm techniques. Um, here we're going to, you know, go in at six o'clock in the morning. We're going to get him and his wife out of bed. We're going to take all the records. We're going to threaten that he's going to be indicted unless he cooperates. Doesn't appear that that's going anywhere. Now, I don't know if he's ultimately going to get indicted or not, but if he does, I, I don't think it's going to be for collusion during the campaign. It might be for other stuff in connection with his business activities. But do we care with Russia about Russia? David and Mequon. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that bother me uh, about this whole thing, and part of it is the fact that you know we don't have to go back that far in history what James Comey said. He said that there was no wiretapping whatsoever at Trump Tower. Paul Manafort lived in Trump Tower. Yeah. And now uh, it's turning out one. that he was, yeah. Yeah, and then James Clapper said the same thing. And and so essentially, and they did it all the way up until uh, President Trump became president. So you literally have, you have the Obamas, DOJ, Secret Intelligence, the FBI, all spying on American citizens, which is against everything in the Constitution as far as your rights are. And, you know, where's the crime? There's no, I mean, I'm still weighing the evidence for the crime, and this is just, it's absolutely cr- what well, I'm saying is the whole you, your, is your concerns aren't with the investigation of Trump. You think that, re- that you think it's the special counsel and everybody else that's out of control. Yes, and because they're literally, I mean, if they wanted to, if you have the full force of the federal government coming down, breathing down your neck, 
that's that's a that's police state tactics. Well, it that's is that's interesting. Protecting the individual. Right. I mean, thanks. Yeah. It, it is interesting as somebody who, in another life, got lots and lots of search warrants Hun- over my career, hundreds and hundreds of search warrants, and and, and generally speaking. When you're dealing with somebody who has committed what would be a white-collar crime, a, a businessman, you, you don't boot in their door. You don't show up at 6 o'clock in the morning and execute a search warrant like this. What you do is you, you go to their attorney and you say, hey, can, can, we, have, you know, can we have the documents or produce this? Um, that's not the way this current special counsel rolls. And the idea is, I mean, they're describing it, shock and awe. We're going to try to intimidate people. We're going to use tactics that we typically wouldn't do and candidly are unnecessary. But we want to do it because we want to try to scare them into cooperating. Well, it doesn't appear that that's working. On top of that, you have, and again, like, like the existence of wiretaps, you're, that is not allowed to be made public. So there's obviously somebody that is leaking this information because they want to put pressure on Manafort or, or whatever. And I mean, I do think he's got a point. He's saying, hey, look, if, if this, I want to know who made this sort of stuff public. If, in fact, this happened, I think you should release any transcripts you have. I'm willing to waive my rights to do it, but I want it investigated to see who is producing this evidence. Now, this is very heavy-handed tactics. And again, if if the special counsel believes that there's evidence that this guy committed a crime, well, then go ahead and charge him. But this whole idea of we're going to get Trump and we're going to try to get Trump with this, and I understand that there's some people who are just hoping that this happens. I'm telling you, based on what I'm seeing thus far, it's just... Maybe Paul Manafort is guilty of something in connection with his business dealings with Russians in 2014, although the FBI didn't find any evidence of that when they investigated it. But but maybe the special counsel will take a different look. So far, though, um, I'm not even sure there's smoke, much less fire. It is 930. When we come back, we got a lot of great stuff on the program, including interesting article in the Journal Sentinel today. Is it time to do away with the dreaded reformulated gas requirement. Stick around. It is 935, Jeff Breck, 620 WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October. It's the final homestand of the season. The Brewers have their eyes on a playoff spot, and the Cubs come to Miller Park for a four-game series. All right, BD, who's producing the show today. All right, we, we talked about this before. Um, four-game series against the Cubs. They're three and a half back. How many do you think they need to realistically win? You say three. I agree. Three out of four. Um, and, and a lot of people are are upset about last night, and it was an opportunity. But I, I tell you, they're they're okay. The three and a half behind the Cubs, they're a game behind the Rockies. I watched a good chunk of that game on Major League Baseball Network yesterday between uh, San Francisco and Colorado. I mean, I think the Brewers. Okay, they got ten games left. How many games do you think they're going to have to win to make the playoffs? You say seven. Yeah, I'd, I'd say either seven or eight. But I think seven. I, I don't right. If if the Rockies. Right. I'd say seven. I'd seven, eight, I think for sure. They overhaul either the Cubs or I'm not sure which one. But I, I think, if yeah, if they win seven, 
I don't think I think they'll at least tie. I don't think the Rockies are going to win more than six. That would be my guess. Right, Nate, right. It's, they're going to have to sweep Cincinnati at home, right? That's going to be it, right? If they could take three out of four from the Cubs and sweep Cincinnati, six out of seven on this homestand, they would be in, in very good shape. I, I would agree with you on that because then they finish up what, in St. Louis. I think they finish up against St. Louis. In any event, we digress. Bob and Jeff begin our game day coverage of the opener at 635 this evening, sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. All right. There is an interesting story, front page above the, the fold in the Journal Sentinel, that I wanted to discuss. All right. The, since 1995, southeastern Wisconsin has been under a requirement um, from the EPA, pursuant to the Clean Air Act, to have to use something called reformulated gasoline. Reformulated gasoline is a special blend of gasoline that um, is supposed to reduce ground-level ozone pollution, um, otherwise known as smog. That, that's, that's what reformulated gas is supposed to do. Um, it has been a requirement since 1995. Reformulated gas is used in about 17 states, but not all throughout the states, and in the District of Columbia. It is a special blend. Reformulated gasoline costs more than regular gasoline does. I mean, the estimate, like the Journal Sentinel has this, and I think it's, it's pretty consistent. Um, over the last month, drivers buying reformulated gas have paid about 25 cents a gallon more than conventional gasoline. That's because it's a special blended thing, and it's all about quantity. If the reformulated gas that they make to send to southeastern Wisconsin is a special blend. It's not the stuff that goes to the vast majority of the country, so it costs more because it's a specialty thing. In addition, in the spring and the fall, the type of reformulated gasoline we use in the summer is different than the reformulated gasoline that we use in, in the winter. So there's always a period in the spring and the fall where there's a spike in cost because they're switching over between different types of reformulated gasoline. The vast majority of the state of Wisconsin geographically does not have to use reformulated gas. But if you do use the reformulated gas, you are going to be paying more for this. Um, over the years, like I say, the justification for RFG, and, and a lot of people believe that it is, it's, it's crap gas or that you don't get uh, – that, that might be too harsh a description of it – but a lot of people think that the regular gasoline is superior as far as performance and mileage to reformulated gasoline. Um, I happen to be one of those people. If I have the choice between buying reformulated gas and non-reformulated gas, I- I'm going to buy the non-reformulated gas. Maybe that's just my prejudice. Don't know. But that that's, that's me, and I think that's a lot of people. What's happened since 1995 is that... The gasoline, the regular gasoline that's made, um, burns much, much cleaner and is much, much, much more environmentally friendly. Um, That's just because of of the way and improvements in not only automobiles, but improvements in the way that the regular conventional gas is made. It's cleaner, and you've got, again, the emissions control devices that are, are doing a better job. So objectively, the difference between 
if there was a huge difference back in 1995 from the way reformulated gas burned to the way regular gas burned, that, that distinction, there, there's not much difference anymore. Plus, the regular gas is a lot cheaper. So here's what's happening. Um, there are some Republican legislatures, legislators who are pushing to ask President Trump, the Trump administration, to issue a waiver that would eliminate the need of southeastern Wisconsin to use reformulated gas. The reason we have to do it is you've got this the Federal Clean Air Act and you've got this requirement that the EPA is putting in. So the bill now would say to the Republicans would go and say, hey, look, let us out of this mandate. Release us. Let our people be free. Let us use regular gasoline. It's not going to hurt the environment. It's going to save people you know, 15, 20 cents a gallon. It's going to make a big difference as far as cost, and we're not going to do anything worse to the environment. Plus, again, you have a lot of people who still have problems with some of the areas that are required to use reformulated gasoline. You know, is this really a problem, for example, up in Sheboygan? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think I think this effort is appropriate, and I think the time for us being required to use reformulated gasoline is long past. I, I think it's time to let Wisconsinites particularly those of us who live in southeastern Wisconsin, it's time to let us use the same gasoline that people use throughout the rest of the state and in 33 other states. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It will be cheaper. It will not hurt the environment. If this rule made sense in 1995, and that's a big if, it, in my opinion, doesn't make sense in 2017, what do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 946. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have a story coming up in about 10 minutes that just, frankly, it makes my head hurt. I'll tell you all about that. Right now, we're talking about this effort that Republicans are leading in Wisconsin to ask the Trump administration to essentially give us a waiver saying we no longer in southeastern Wisconsin have to use reformulated gas. We've been stuck with using RFG since 1995. Um, as conventional gas has gotten cleaner, as emission control on cars have gotten better, even most of the hardcore environmentalists agree that the difference between RFG and regular gas is pretty minimal. Yet RFG costs 20 to 25 cents more per gallon, and sometimes it's even more than that in the spring and the fall. I think it's long overdue to get us out from under the RFG mandate. Let's start with Dwayne in Port Washington. Dwayne, good morning. Good morning. I'm calling just to let you know that I usually drive... 20 miles away with my truck, I fill it up 35 gallons, and I take three five-gallon cans with me and fill my wife's car and have extras for myself and save that 20 cents a gallon. Um, <laughs> so that's, I mean, so is it is it just because of cost or is it because of other things? The cost and the fuel mileage. Yeah, so you get you you're convinced you get better mileage with the regular gas than with the reformulated stuff. Yes. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. So where do you I mean I mean where do you go to get out of the containment zone? Where do you have to drive to? Um, Horicon. Okay. <laughs> so, right, yeah, but it's worth it to you because you think it makes that much of a difference. Right. When I come home from up north, I always fill up somewhere before I get back here. Yeah. And 
get a couple of cans full. Yeah, now I'm not. I mean, thanks. For, I I don't I don't put it in the cans and stuff like that. But if I'm coming back from an area outside the reformulated gas area and I, I need gas and the choice is getting it outside the area or, or driving an extra 15 or 20 miles and inside i'm going to stop and get the gas earlier because i also believe that it, it's just better but again this is I, look i had problems with this back in 1995 I, I think i think a lot of the ways that we try to measure ozone and particles in the air and things like that is whacked out I, I just don't think it's reliable gee let's look at you know what's going on at the height of a summer day in uh, in racine right by the uh, right by lake michigan i think a lot of times the, these readings statistically are extremely misleading but but regardless of that if there was a purpose for it in 1995 now with the way that gas burns and the way that you have emission controls, we don't need this anymore. Why can't we save ourselves some money? Jack in Sussex. Jack, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jack. Um, I just wanted to call and talk about reformulated gas and pure gasoline. Um, it takes a gallon and a half of ethanol to equal the energy in one gallon of gasoline. There is no savings there, and it increases the fuel mileage considerably so, by using the you know, by using regular gas yes yeah i know it for a fact that it does because i have occasion to go up to oshkosh and you can buy it there so i right. buy it and on the way back to my to sussex it's uh probably 15 percent better gas mileage mm-hmm it's phenomenal right. and it's cheaper better gas mileage and it's cheaper you know, what, what what's not to like about that Well, it, it does. And I mean, thanks for the call. And, and, and the problem with what's, what's going on now, Jack, is the fuel prices are artificially high. And again, remember, it gets worse in the spring and it gets worse in the, worse in the fall because the type of reformulated gas that we use in the summer is different than you use the rest of the year. So you have these refineries, and, and this happens every year. The refineries have to retrofit. So we have to go to the special summer blend, which is this weird blend that isn't used very often. I mean, this, this, is a no-brainer. This is one of these kind of do-gooder laws that maybe it had a role in 1995, no more. Justin sends me a text. I think it's time to repeal the RFG mandate for southeastern Wisconsin, um, and as a result, hopefully Quick Trip and other stations will stop selling the even worse E15 and areas not areas of Wisconsin not required to use at RFG. Um, again, I, I just this is one of these things where. You want to get the government off your back. And I understand that there are reasons why you have various rules. And and this isn't, oh, you don't care about the environment. No. I mean, I I think most people will tell you that when it comes to gasoline, the difference between the RFG and the regular gas is de minimis. It's de minimis nowadays. So why make us pay 10, 15, 20 cents more per gallon to use gas that isn't as good, or at least that many of us believe isn't as good. This is one of the reasons why President Trump got elected, get rid of some of the dumb regulations. I think Wisconsin should go ahead and ask for the waiver, and I think the Trump administration should give it. Coming up in just a couple minutes, it is a story that I guarantee you will probably make your head hurt as much as it makes my head hurt. Stick around. It's 952. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 
Speaking of Steely Dan, we've got a pop culture corner coming up. It's going to relate a little bit to Steely Dan. Stick around with that. What better way to get you ready for the Packers-Bengals on Sunday than by getting the inside scoop from a couple of Packer Hall of Famers? Catch Larry the Rock McCarron at 320 and then all-time leading receiver Donald Driver at 420 as they join John and Melissa during Wisconsin's afternoon news that is coming up today. All right. This will make your head hurt. Think back to your teachers that you had in grade school. I'm just thinking. I had Mr. Bufton. I had Mr. Sigworth. I had Miss Yates. I had Ms. Rosati. Um, I had Mrs. Coffer. You know, it, Mr., Ms., Mrs. Right, that's how you refer to them. All right, there is a new teacher at this fifth grade class in an elementary school, Canopy Oaks Elementary in Tallahassee, Florida. Her name is Chloe Bresick. She sends a note home to the parents saying that in her classroom, she expects students to use gender-neutral pronouns. What does that mean? My pronouns, this is what she writes, are they, them, their, instead of he, his, she, or hers. I know it takes some practice for it to feel natural, but students catch on pretty quickly. So in other words, if you're answering in class... She doesn't want you to say, gee, he took my, he pulled my hair. She wants you to say, I don't know exactly what she wants you to say. They pulled my hair. She doesn't want to be referred to as Ms. She doesn't want to be referred to as Miss. She doesn't want to be referred to as Mrs. She wants to be referred to, and this makes my head hurt, as Mix, M-X, pronounced M-I-X. So she wants people to call her Mix Bresick. So she sends home this note, and understandably, a number of parents respond by going, well, what the hell is this? And, of course, the school board then gets involved, and the principal talks to her and says, well, you know, we, um, we, we support you know, her right to be called whatever she wants to be called. And, you know, she's, um, she is going to refer to the students by, by their names, so she's going to call them Jeff or Alice or, or whatever. But, you know, when they use these terms, we would prefer that she not use he or she. Rather, they use they. And we also want her to she wants to be called Mix. So please call her Mix. At some point in time, look, and I I understand people have individual preferences, but have we really gone through the looking glass? I, I mean, seriously, if in her own life, you know, this lady wants to be called the mighty Thor, that's okay with me. I got no problem. But, you know, she's a public school teacher, and just because you have these sort of weird ideas, and yes, feel free to send me the emails, wanting to call yourself mix is a weird thing. But that's okay. People like to do weird stuff all the time. If you want to be weird on your own time and you want to say to all your friends, call me mix, call me mix breast, that's okay. I'm cool with that. But there are still some societal norms. And it would strike me that if you're going to be a teacher in a public school, there are certain societal norms that you should be subscribing to, including, um, yes, you can choose, you can be Miss, you can be Mrs., you can be Ms. if you don't like any of the rest of them. But, you know, just making up these kind of, like, 
trendy things that you then expect the kids to call you that then demonstrates that this stuff is anything other than weird. I think the school district has every right to say, nope, if you're going to be getting a paycheck, you know, you have to, you can choose your name and you can choose the appellation, but um, mix? No, we don't think so. But for the moment, the school district is siding with, they're siding with Mix Bresick. As she says, gender-neutral pronouns in my fifth-grade classroom. By the way, they're 9- and 10-year-old kids. Give me a break. It's 9.59. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of ground to cover. Glad to have you with us. All right. BD, who's producing the show today. Are you familiar with the term kettling? K-E-T-T-L-I-N-G. It's kind of like, uh, as in the pot calling the kettle black, but this is kettling. You're not. Okay, well, here, here, here's the deal. Um, kettling is a tactic that is used by police departments with regard to um, crowd control. So l- let's say you have a large group of protesters that are... You are you have reached a point where you are ordering them to disperse. Okay, so let let's 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 put let's say they're they're illegally assembled or they're marching in the street and they don't have a permit or or whatever, or um, there's vandalism that is going on and your the police are trying to order the protesters to disperse. So what what they do is they will say, okay, time to go home, leave, and people don't leave. So what the police then do to control a location is they will surround the, the area where the people are have now illegally gathered. So they'll put a certain they'll encircle it and it's called so essentially they form like a kettle. And then what they do is they'll have one or two places where you can leave from. You can go where you can leave from. And so they'll set up like checkpoints and they'll get people that are out and then they will move in. And anybody who is still has refused the orders to go home and disperse, you know, they'll go in and they'll make arrests. That, that's, it's called kettling. You essentially form the protective circle and then you, you, you move in. And if people refuse your orders to go home and leave, then you go in and make arrests. Okay. And it, it comes, kettle is from the German word, word cauldron. All right. So this is a common crowd control tactic that is used. Well, we were talking about yesterday how St. Louis has been, for the last week or two, has been embroiled in ongoing, I'm going to use the word riots, because these have been these have been riots involving people who were protesting after a police officer shot a drug dealer. Actually, the situation happened back in 2011. What happened was there was a drug deal that was being conducted. The police busted in, and it was being done in a car. The police show up. The drug dealer flees from the police at a high rate of speed. He's chased by a series of cops. Ultimately, the cops uh, ram the guy's car. They force him to stop. Police officer gets out of the car. The drug dealer has a gun, which the officer says pointed at him. The officer then shoots and kills him. The officer was white. The drug dealer was black. This happened in 2011. The authorities charged the officer with a crime, 
and what a week and a half ago a judge acquits him says no i don't find any basis for believing that he committed a crime the prosecution's theory was that the officer had planted the gun that there was never a gun in the first place that they had planted the gun after the shooting and there wasn't evidence to support that so the officer gets acquitted and people start taking to the streets protesting and you know again you know police shoot a, a, a black man all right well the police, in response to the the riots, engage in this activity of, of kettling. That's what they were apparently were doing. They had all these folks that were illegally assembled. They were refusing to leave when they were told by the police. And so what the police did was, okay, they encircled them, and then they moved in, and they made arrests. They, they kettled them. And now you have people who are saying, oh, this was terrible. This was excessive force. They used chemical spray on people. They, they stopped us from leaving after we were been told to leave and then couldn't. And, and then once they started moving in, we, we couldn't get out. Um, th- this, is just, this is just awful. This is an inappropriate use of force. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this, by the way, is not an uncommon law enforcement tactic when you are dealing with you know large crowds and large groups of people because you have to figure out some way to control the situation so what they they do is they try to contain the situation well this whole issue is now on the forefront if you haven't heard about this you will hear about it soon because now a lot of the groups the protest groups as there's more and more protesters they are responding to this tactic saying oh this is terrible this is police brutality you should not restrain us in this fashion okay 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i don't mean to overly simplify this but if you are unlawfully assembled and the police tell you to disperse, go home, and you continue to be in the area where you are being told to leave, I don't know what you expect the police to do. It sounds to me like this tactic just makes sense. People are now illegally congregated. We're going to, we got to control the situation. We don't want people running all over. We have given them a chance to leave. And now if they're not leaving, yeah, we're going to control it. We're going to move in and we're going to make arrests. Does that sound like it is an unreasonable police tactic? 414-799-1620. They call it kettling. It's getting a lot of negative attention. But again, I'm at a point where if, if you don't, if you don't want to get caught in the kettle, if you don't want to have to, you know, deal with police who are moving in to make arrests, then leave when they tell you to leave. 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The issue of pre-existing conditions is one that has been at the heart of most health care debates from day one. Under the Affordable Care Act, we're learning more about the conditions that have received the most claims in the last seven years. Scafidi and Billstat run down the top ten list. It includes a few surprises. Tune in today at 1235. I guarantee that will be an interesting, um, a very interesting discussion. 
Okay, let's go to our text line, which is kind of exploding here. Mitch writes, at a certain point, the police need to get the upper hand in restoring order when protests lean towards riots and require a standard strategy. I like the tactic and the term. That term would be kettling. Mike says, I think kettling is a reasonable solution to the police that th- for the police to control an unlawful uh, uh, assembly. Um, yeah, now, obviously, you, you have to give people the right to leave, um, you know, before you move in and you do this. But, you know, if you tell people disperse and they don't take off, what are you supposed to do? Doc says this law enforcement tactic would never be used in the city of Milwaukee. Why? Because it's not politically correct. Um, another text, nothing wrong with the tactic. They are getting the job done. Well, they are getting the, the job done because, um, again, if people simply complied with the police orders, there would not be a problem. But you, you can see this is the argument that you get. Hey, we're here. We're protesting. Um, and then everybody that doesn't leave. Yes, there's some people that are behaving in a violent fashion. Yes, there's people who are looting or doing whatever. But, you know, you, you mix the people who aren't doing anything wrong in with the people who are when you bundle everybody up. Well, the point of the matter is, if you're told to disperse, if you're told to go home and you decide that you're going to stay there, well, yeah, you, you better expect that you're, you know, you're going to get arrested. That's probably what is going to happen. It's just like the story involving Michael Bennett, who is the race-baiting, lying defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, who, you know, says, gee, I was put down on the ground and handcuffed because I was a black man by the Las Vegas police. And, of course, his story is the police show up at a casino after the Mayweather, the last Mayweather fight. They get a report of shots fired. He's hiding behind a slot machine. They tell him, oh, they tell everybody to stay put while they're doing the investigation. He gets up, runs from the cops, vaults over a four-foot wall, and runs out. Well, yes, they, they end up they end up chasing him and putting him on the ground and handcuffing him because they're afraid that he was the active shooter. If you just do what the police tell you to do, you're not going to have any problems. All right. New numbers are out about the wall. And it's becoming more and more doubtful whether Donald Trump's wall is ever going to be built. We're going to talk about that next. If you uh, stick around, it's 1020. This is Jeff Wagner. It is 1023, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you spending your Thursday morning with us. Um, from the big dog to the Greek freak and from Marquette to Mark Ma- March Madness, we're showcasing some of the greatest games and moments in BMO Harris Bradley Center history. Check out the photo gallery. It is up now in the buck section at WTMJ.com. All right. One of the centerpieces of the Donald Trump campaign, and it was something that actually I criticized I criticized Donald Trump as a candidate. I have criticized President Trump as a president for this, was suggesting that we were going to build a massive physical wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Originally, as I've said before, I thought he was talking metaphysically. You know, we're going to we're going to build we're going to build a wall, um, meaning 
we're going to, at some places, we're going to have physical barriers. At other places, we're going to, I don't know, have electronic surveillance. At other places, we don't really have to worry about it because you can't cross there anyways because the terrain is so inhospitable. But as, as it played out, President Trump was not talking as a metaphor. He was talking about building a giant wall and making Mexico pay for this giant wall, which is going to cost billions of, of dollars. Well, as time has, has worn on, um, even though there is still conversation about the wall, President Trump, while he says we're going to build the wall and Mexico is going to pay for it, fewer and fewer people, I think, appear to um, have are, appear to be taking him seriously on that. On top of that, there's already all sorts of legal issues. Now, again, if you understand the geography of this, the, the wall... In many cases, if you actually did build a wall, it would run through people's private property in Texas, in California, in Arizona. In some cases, it would run through people's backyards. And a lot of people don't want a giant physical wall put up in their backyard. So there's already in Texas a whole number of lawsuits that individual homeowners are filing trying to stop this. Um, On Wednesday, California filed a a lawsuit um, trying to stop construction of any wall, saying, hey, this this would invade the power of the states, etc. So California's estate is trying to litigate against this. Homeowners in Texas are trying to litigate against this. There's still, President Trump has moved off his, we're going to get Mexico to pay for this up front, and now he's saying, I want Congress to give me money to pay for it, and I'll somehow make Mexico pay in the future. Um, latest numbers that are, are out is that um, USA Network went and started asking Republicans in Congress about how they feel about President Trump's initial request of $1.6 billion to begin construction of the wall. And less than 25% say that they agree with them. Um, the vast majority either refuse to answer, or many just say absolutely no. So the idea that now Mexico is going to pay for this at some point in time in the future, but we're going to front the cost, has almost no support among Democrats and very, very little support among Republicans. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for President Trump to drop the idea of a physical barrier along the entire U.S.-Mexican border. 414-799-1620. Now, he's in a bit of a trick box because this was one of the centerpieces and one of the first things he came out with as far as a campaign promise. We're going to build the wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it. So it's kind of tough, I acknowledge, to backtrack from one of your principal campaign promises. I have argued all along that that really never made any sense. And I I continue to believe that. Just the geography is such that I don't think it makes any sense. Um, I never understood how you were going to get Mexico to pay for this. And at least at this point in time, there's no idea as to how how Mexico is going to pay for this. So now the president is looking for 1.6 B as in billion dollars up front to start construction of of a wall. Um, Should he just Stop this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I, I think, as I look at this, this never made sense. 
it is impractical, and in my opinion, it is a waste of money. Now, there are areas of the border uh, between the U.S. and Mexico where we have fences. And truthfully, it might make sense in some of those areas to build a larger wall. I have no no problem with that at all. But at the same time, this idea that we're going to build a physical structure, um, I, I think we'd be much better off saying, hey, we're going to put money into enhanced border security. We're going to have more agents. We're going to have more planes. We're going to do whatever we can to, again, create a barrier to stop having people come in. I'm behind that 110%. But is it time to get away from the notion of the physical wall, especially given the fact that now we know that at least up front, Mexico is not going to pay for it. Let's start with Mark and Sheboygan. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mark. This is an interesting subject. I try. Um, Thank you. I, I, every once in a while, I, you know, the blind squirrel finds the acorn. <laughs> what do you think? Ah, okay. Well, I, I hope I'm going to open up uh, this to a, a little bit more intelligence. Um, there are two issues here. One is whether the wall is going to be effective. And two is, is whether or not it's going to be cost-effective. Now, the first one has been answered by the uh, country of Hungary that put a fence up around, along its border, and it cut the illegal migration of, of uh, Muslims uh, into and through uh, Hungary by 96%. That we know. Okay? Okay, so I'm listening. There is a, okay, the second one is... The, uh, whether or not there's a cost-benefit to be incurred here. And if you took, uh, take a look at what we are paying in social services for these, these immigrants, these illegal immigrants, and uh, look at the cost of the wall itself, uh, the cost of the wall will pay for itself ten times over in the first year it's in existence. Well, Mark, I, get, here, I mean, here's my... Here's my problem with this. I mean, I'm not arguing that we don't control the border. I I am. I'm just arguing that a physical wall is not the way to go about it. That that you you have first of all, you, you're, it's not going to happen because you're going to have you're going to have litigation for years and years as, as people say, hey, we we don't think the government has the right to put a wall up through our our backyard. There may, like I say, be areas where a wall and we have fences now in some parts of the in some parts of the border. I I have no problem with that if it makes sense, do it. But you know, you have for example, you have areas of the U.S. Mexico border that the terrain. Why bother putting a fifteen foot wall up? You can't. Get get across there anyways wouldn't you be better off taking the money and saying okay we're going to have more surveillance flights we're going to have more radar we're going to have more customs agents trying to adapt to the terrain as opposed to simply saying we're going to build some giant wall in many places where it's we're going to locate it where nobody comes across anyways i mean Walls seem to me to be so 1900s, you know, use the technology that we have in 2017. That's my whole point. I'm not arguing that we shouldn't try to get control of the border. I'm just saying we should be smart about it. It's 1036, Jeff Wack, 620 WPM. I keep forgetting to mention this. Uh, for a couple weeks now, I've been up on Twitter. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And what I try to do is um, at least every morning try to give you a couple insights as to what we're going to be talking about on the program. 
and when. We've got a discussion about you deplorables coming up in just a minute. But right now, we're talking about the wall. This is, of course, the centerpiece of President Trump's successful campaign. It's one of the first things that he came out with. We're going to build this wall all along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, Mexico is going to pay for it. It's going to stop illegal immigration. I think most of us are in favor of of stopping illegal immigration. The problem, though, is that right now only about 25 percent of Republicans in Congress support fronting $1.6 billion to begin construction of the wall. Is it time for the president to abandon this? And I'm not saying abandon the concept of a wall in some portions on some portions of the border. That, to me, makes sense. Um, other portions of the border, I don't think we need a wall. Let's talk to Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. So I Bob, 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 Bob. Okay, lost Bob. Robert in Mequon. Robert, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, we definitely got to improve some parts of the, of the wall. I mean, you've seen the YouTube videos. You've seen mm-hmm. some of the photos where it's just literally a stick. Sure. Um, in between the border. I mean, I crossed the border on foot down in Tijuana, and they grilled the heck out of me on the way back in. It was super easy to get into Mexico, but it wasn't very easy to get back in the U.S. Thanks right. for taking my call. No, thanks for calling. Again, I, well, again, and I guess I'm not sure what the, the, the point – I mean, I'm not arguing that you, we don't have a, a – whether it's a fence – or a wall, or whatever. I'm not arguing that in those places we have them, you take them down. I'm also not arguing that we shouldn't necessarily consider in looking at other places and saying, okay, maybe it makes sense to have a wall here. My only point is that to commit yourself just blindly to we're going to build a wall along the however many thousand miles of of the entire border, including areas where you're, you're going to, again, either have legal problems doing it or where it's just the terrain is so inhospitable, let's get beyond the wall. Let's let's talk about the wall as a metaphor, which says, okay, we want to have a barrier, and we're going to do it in the most effective way we possibly can. You know, we're going to have as many immigration agents as we want, and we're going to have, like, the night surveillance, and we're going to do all these things. I think that's something that everybody would get behind. And if we would stop talking about, say, $1.6 billion for building, a wall, but instead say, okay, it's going to be enhanced border enforcement. That's something that I think maybe even some Democrats could support. Let's talk to John in Waukesha. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, I, I think the physical wall is, is appropriate in, in many places. Sure. Um, I, I think there are some instances where you, where you talk about uh, the terrain where where, where maybe some, some different kinds of surveillance would be appropriate. But um, I would go back to a previous caller. There are many instances, not just Hungary, but Israel and other countries, where it is proven if you build a wall, it keeps people out. And I, I think that is the goal um, to do that. And so far, these other options that people keep talking about haven't worked, number one. And number two, um, well, I realize that uh, a physical wall is probably a lot more expensive health front cost, um, you and other people who keep talking about, well, let's throw more agents and more people on the border and more right. surveillance flights, that, those are reoccurring yearly costs that are going to go on and on and on, as opposed to a physical wall where appropriate is a one-time cost, again, which has proven to keep people out of other countries where it's been done. Well, okay, but I mean, you, but a physical wall still needs to be 
manned. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, it's at some point in time, you, you have to have you have to have agents, you have to have surveillance, because otherwise, people if, if there's nobody watching it and it's in the middle of nowhere, aren't people going to tunnel under it or people climb over it or or whatever? Well, I, I think that they're they're experimenting with different ideas in mm-hmm. other countries and see what works as far as trying to you know. To, right, to uh, trying to figure out what makes the most sense. Well, I realize you're going to have to have some patrol. I, I don't think it's going to be new to the extent that you and other people keep talking about. Let's just keep throwing more human assets at this. What do you think about the idea of, you know, originally this was sold on, we're going to have Mexico pay for it. Now, that idea has apparently gone by the wayside. Now we're talking about uh, we're going to pay for it up front. Does that give you any pause? Um, I I guess I never did really think that Mexico was going to pay for it. I, I, I think, again, I'm going to stand on the wall. I think the U.S. is going to probably put the bill and probably should. I mean, the important thing to me is border security. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what is a nation? A nation is defined by its borders. Right. And if you don't have borders, they're secure. That, I mean, we've been talking about this for, for 25 years, Jeff. It just doesn't make sense. At some point, those borders need to be secured. And right. as far as your mention of other states, it's not going to happen. I mean, who's going to procure? Who's going to really complain besides wacky California? You think <laughs> well, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico are going to complain? I, I doubt it. I, well, I don't. I mean, th- but I, I tell you what, what's happening already, though, uh, is that people in Texas are, are complaining. Like I say, this there are, and I guess it's kind of tough for us because of the geography up here. But there are people who own property, uh, right? Who own, including who own nice homes and stuff like that, where their backyards are are right on the border. This wall would literally go through their backyards, and and those folks have already started filing, you know, a whole series of lawsuits saying, you know, we, you know, we we don't want a giant ten foot or twenty foot wall suddenly put up in in our backyard. Now, I don't know if ultimately they're going to be able to prevail or not, because the government has rights to take property. I, I will say that it's not going to be something that's going to happen today or tomorrow. You're going to be looking at litigation that will probably take years. Well, in, in any event, that this is here's the, here's the issue, and I, I think it is going to be something that has to be worked out, because it is a centerpiece, and it was a centerpiece of President Trump's campaign. Um, he wants $1.6 billion, and there is very little support among Republicans for that. I think the president would be smarter if, as some of you have suggested, if instead of talking about this as being the wall, we talk about it as border security. You try to look at this and you say, okay, where are there existing areas where we have, for example, a physical barrier that needs to be enhanced or upgraded or whatever, and and start doing that as opposed to continuing with this idea that we're going to build this huge wall all across the the border. Um, I, I just... I'm not saying we don't need to get control of illegal immigration. I, I believe that. I'm just saying we need to be smart about how we go after that. All right. Coming up next, the kid is five. He was suspended for threatening a terrorist act. I'll tell you the story and we'll get your reaction. Stick around. It is 1044. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Milwaukee construction scene is booming, 
But why didn't the city make the final cut for the next Amazon headquarters? Scafidi and Billstad dissect the factors in play at 2.35 this afternoon. Be sure and tune in. All right, here is, here's the story. Now, obviously, starting with Columbine and then moving on, we have become very, very concerned about potential violence in schools. That makes a lot of sense. I completely get that. Here's, here's the deal, though. Um, do we sometimes overreact to things? All right, here's the story. The kid's name is Jackson Riley. He is five years old. And he attends school um, in in California, Modesto, California. All right, here's here's what happens. He has been suspended for making terrorist threats. Now, you heard me right. I told you the kid was five years old. Here's the story. The incident occurred about three or four weeks ago. Um, apparently, what happened is the dad gets a call from the school. The kid's in kindergarten. Um, so he's just, he's just going to kindergarten. I mean, he's five years old. Dad gets a call. And the school says, your kid, your five-year-old, he brought a backpack to school. They told him to take off the backpack, and he said, nope, I'm not going to take off my backpack. And then they said, well, why aren't you taking off your backpack? And the kid then said, well, there's a bomb in it that would explode if I did so. Hmm. There's a bomb in my backpack. If I take it off, it will explode. Um, The dad then says he was asked to come up, come out and and pick up the kid. And he was told that the kid was given a one day suspension. Dad says, I'll come to get him, but I'm not sure what a suspension is going to do for a five year old. And the school says, well, it's what we have to do. Now, dad says, hey, look, we we, we love the the teachers. Um, We understand what the kid said was wrong, but the kid has now been suspended for his intent to threaten, intimidate, or harass others um, and in violation of the school code. Now, the dad says, well, the code really only applies to, to fourth through twelfth graders. And they said, okay, we're going to suspend him because he was making terrorist threats, at which point in time the dad says, my kid never made a threat. He never wanted to blow up the school. He was making himself a hero in his imagination, saying, I'm going to keep the backpack on because I don't want the school to blow up. Dad says that this is all in the world of pretend play. Um, where was the threat? The school says, okay, no, sorry, you know, you may, we consider this to be a threat. You have to be suspended. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the kid is five years old. He doesn't come to school and say, I'm going to kill everybody or I'm going to blow everybody up. He's got the backpack on. They say, take it off. He says, well, I can't because there's a bomb in it and I don't want the bomb to explode. He has now been suspended for making terrorist threats. He is a kindergartner at five, five years old. All right, is the school overreacting, or is this a legitimate concern based on the obviously troubling statement that the kid said? Now, I don't know where he gets the idea that people put bombs in backpacks, but maybe he's just watching the news. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dad, for his part, dad and mom say, look, we, we, we understand that what he did was wrong. Okay, we, we, we get that. And, and this was just, he's a kid. This was a pretend sort of thing. This wasn't a terrorist threat. And we don't want our kids suspended. And we don't want his permanent record to have a mark saying, hey, he was sent home for kindergarten for a terrorist threat. 
Do mom and dad have a point, or is the school within its rights to say, look, we're going to suspend the kid? 414-799-1620. He is five years old. When we come back, I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll get your input. So 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. He's five years old. He's suspended for making a terrorist threat. Is that what this was? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1052. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, five-year-old kid goes to kindergarten. It's one of probably like the first week or so. Teachers tell him, take off your backpack. He says, I can't because there's a bomb in my backpack. If I take it off, it will go off. They call the parents. The parents come. They get the kid. Kid has now been suspended for making terrorist threats. And the the, the parents say, look, we we understand what he did was wrong. He was just pretending. He really wasn't making a threat. And and we don't want the five-year-old to be going around for the rest of his life with something on his permanent record saying, suspended for making terrorist threats. All right, is the school overreacting? 414-799-1620. My answer is, yeah. He's a five-year-old, for goodness sakes, and obviously you want to talk to him and say, okay, you know, we, we don't say things like this, but he wasn't making a threat to blow up the school. Jill in Wauwatosa. Jill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Hi, Jill. What Hi. do you think? I think the school is overreacting, and the child is five years old, using his imagination, and there's no way on earth that he would understand what a bomb is and what it does, unless he's been watching too much news. Right, or, or you know, and I don't know. Maybe he saw a movie or something like that. You know, maybe he watched, maybe he watched Speed or whatever. And and obviously, what he said was wrong. And and you want to, don't you want to use this as a teachable moment? Maybe to kind of sit him down and say, no, you can't say things like that. But to to label him a terrorist, I guess that just strikes me as being extreme. If that were my child, I would be all over that. I am just outraged that a five-year-old is suspended from school for not even making a threat, for using his imagination. Right, exactly. Now, you want to talk to him and you want to explain to him that what you did is wrong and, and don't do it again. And, and obviously, you want to verify that he didn't have a bomb in his backpack. But, right, this is just, it's just a create. So, I mean, again, it's, it's the kid's imagination, and, and he's, five, he's five years old. I have no problem with the school calling the kid's parents. I have no problem with you know sitting down and saying, okay, we, we don't say things like this. Um, this is just wrong to do. But but they're they're essentially labeling him him as a, as a terrorist. Philip in West Dallas. Philip, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Yeah, hi Jeff. Uh, I I have a five year old, and I you know a five year old has a pretty good imagination. I can certainly see him saying something like this. I I don't necessarily think it was a terrorist threat, um, but I think it is a good moment for a five-year-old. You know, this happened to my kid. Um, I would I would be okay with the punishment. It, it's mm-hmm. unfortunate, and clearly you'd have to explain some things along the way as your kid goes to school. But um, I would want my kid to know that if you say certain things, there are consequences. Um, and this is this is one of those teachable moments. But but I, I see. I don't disagree with what you're saying when you say you want it to be a teachable moment. Now, obviously, I, I mean, obviously, if you get a call like this, you want you want to sit down, and you want to talk to your kid, and you want to explain to him, you know, no, you you don't do this. But I guess my question is, what? Why do you think you need the suspension? Why do you think the kid needs to be labeled as a terrorist? I mean, it's it's not like he it's not like he did anything, and it's not like he threatened to blow up the school. I mean, couldn't you just accomplish what you need to do by telling him this is wrong and then just moving on? 
Yeah, and, you know, I think even sometimes, uh, quote-unquote, punishments from a parent may not be as effective for a five-year-old. So if a five-year-old can realize that, hey, if I do things outside of my home, I can still get in trouble for it. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe the suspension won't resonate as well as they would want it to for a five-year-old, but it's still it's still a consequence coming from outside the home, which yeah. I think is necessary. Yeah, I guess I, I, I mean, I don't have an issue with consequences, but it's the suspension and it's the labeling the kid as a terrorist that, that I kind of draw the line at. You want to call mom and dad. You want to have mom and dad come. You want to have the kid you know, taken home from, from kindergarten that day. Oh, okay, fine. You want to make sure you tell him not to do it again. I guess I just... It's, you know, how do you react then the next time you have the kid come in who really does, does act out in the fashion that you need to punish? I mean, are, are you, are you drawing the line too close? All right. Coming up in just a couple minutes, uh, the mainstream media once again labels anybody who supports President Trump as a deplorable. Um, President Trump's poll numbers are going up. Are the deplorables fighting back? Stick around. It's 1059. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner coming up at 1135. Um, I sent out the topic on Twitter. You have gotten it if you follow me at Twitter. It's Jeff Wagner, 620, and already getting a huge response to that. Um, matter of fact, on Twitter, I also sent out a link to this particular story. There, I think Hillary Clinton, during the last election, made a number of, of mistakes. Matter of fact, I think she ran... An, I think she was a dreadful candidate who ran an absolutely dreadful campaign. One of the many, many, many mistakes that she made was where she came out and she decided to insult Donald Trump supporters. Um, remember when she, she called the supporters of Donald Trump, or at least half of Donald Trump's supporters, she, she called you deplorable. Now, I don't know if you're which half you're in, but remember, you know, she said, just to be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables, right? The racist, the sexist, the homophobic, the xenophobic, the Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that, and he has lifted them up. And, and again, so the idea was, and this was kind of the liberal elite view, that the G, if you think that maybe we should label Islamic terrorists as, as, as Islamic terrorists, oh, then you're, you're Islamophobic. Um, if you think that maybe we need to have, I don't know, some controls of our border, then you're xenoph- xenophobic. If you um, happen to believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, well, then you're, you're homophobic, and then racist and sexist. It, it just goes on and on. But she used this basket of deplorables line, and I believe it blew up in her face big time because there were a lot of people who just said, you know, all right, we, we, we don't consider ourselves to be racist and sexist and homophobic simply because we believe this issue or that issue. Now, maybe we disagree with you, but again, you're going to label us, you're going to call us deplorable because of that. I think it was a huge mistake. But that, of course, that's the way a lot of people in the mainstream media and the mainstream left view conservatives. That if you disagree on this or that issue, you are you're in that basket of deplorables. The latest example of that w- was yesterday. Um, Joy Reid, who's one of the 
kind of real left-wing commentators on, on MSNBC. Um, she decided yesterday that she was going to take to Twitter to comment on the president's speech the other day to the United Nations. Um, and again, she decided to resurrect the language of deplorables. Sometimes I think Donald Trump has given up the idea of ever being respected by anyone other than his deplorables. Um, she was upset that Trump threatened, again, to totally destroy nuke North Korea should North Korea attack the U.S. or its allies. You know, she criticized the speech as being weird, insane, um, blah, 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 blah. But again, it was like the Trump supporters, they're, they're the deplorables. And none of us, nobody else could ever respect him. And he's not even trying to be respected by anybody other than, I don't know, the, the half of the Trump supporters who are, I guess, the deplorables. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I understand that politics isn't being bag, and I understand that there's... There's a lot of name-calling that goes on, and I understand that there's a lot of people who are deep within Trump derangement syndrome. And as I say repeatedly, and I know it drives some of you crazy, I, I think Trump brings some of this on himself by his refusal to stay off of Twitter and the off-putting personality and things like that. At, at the same time, um, President Trump's numbers are, are actually you know, trending up. And I understand people don't believe polls. And if you're if you're not going to believe polls when your candidate's poll numbers are low, you shouldn't turn around and believe polls when they are improving. But um, he, he's starting to rebound a, a little bit. Um, you know, last month, I'm just looking at the Politico poll, he had a 39% approval rating, which, which is bad. Um, that, that approval rating is up four or five points. It's 43%. Um, and that is consistent with other polls. It's still... It is still low, but his numbers are starting to come back. Um, and, and you're starting to see a lot of Republicans who are starting to come home. One of the reasons his poll numbers have historically been low um, are because a lot of Republicans don't necessarily agree with him. Now his support among Republicans is up to 80%. And as that number grows, what's going to happen is his poll numbers are going to grow. But I, I think one of the things that's going on is I really think that there is a, a backlash. And I think there's a lot of people out there who resent being called deplorables. Just because you think that we need to do something with Obamacare, does that make you a deplorable? Just because you think that North Korea poses a threat to the civilized world and needs to be dealt with, does, does that make you a deplorable? And the list goes on and on and on. And I think the more you have these people from the far left that start labeling conservatives, Republicans, Trump supporters, as this idea that you're all nothing but a bunch of uneducated deplorables, the more I think there is going to be a backlash. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you a deplorable, and are you are you bothered? Are you offended? Um, does it help to be labeled as such? Or... I think more and more people are starting to wear that title somewhat proudly. 414-799-1620. And I think the left's choice of language is really undermining the, the, the cause. You can criticize Donald Trump on the issues, but when you say, well, those supporters, they're nothing but, you know, again, they're that box of deplorables. I think there's a backlash because people are being tired. Uh, people are tired of being labeled as 
I don't know, something less than the elite liberals simply because they don't agree with the policies. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 11.15. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.18. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bobby in Paris. That would be Paris, Wisconsin, not Paris, France. I wasn't a deplorable during the campaign. I didn't vote for Trump or Hillary. But seeing how the left has reacted since the election has made me more of a Trump supporter. And if he runs again, the basket will have one more deplorable because I would vote for him now. 414-799-1620. If you're just tuning in, one of the MSNBC commentators named Joy Reid, you know, who cares what she thinks. But she's resurrecting this whole idea of deplorables. Oh, the only people that Trump supports are those deplorables, you know, tying back to you know, Hillary Clinton's language. And I guess I think this is so frustrating because this is the way that some of the media elites view the people out there who support President Trump. I find some of the stuff that he does to be off-putting. But you know what? I don't think that just because, for example, you believe in border security or you believe that we need to do something about Obamacare, I don't believe that that means that you are deplorable, but yet a lot of these people do. And you know what? I firmly believe that if you held the election today, Hillary Clinton would still lose. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Diana in Pewaukee. Diana, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I love your show. Thank you. You're sweet. Thank you. I, um, I, I was telling your producer that it's almost comical. Their terminology is so often used that we're becoming immune to it. Right. Um, I have a bumper sticker that says, I'm deplorable. <laughs> and, it's, and it's, it's simply because I, I don't take their remarks seriously. I, I'm not even offended by it. Maybe I should be. But I, I, I think they're, they're trying to anger us. And it mm-hmm. just proves their ignorance that, that we are not becoming uh, uh, angered by it any longer. Well, well right. It, it, it almost, it, it's kind of like, oh, oh, really? It's sort of like Hillary with her vast right-wing wing conspiracy. You just kind of like roll your eyes. And, and I'm thinking, okay, what, what makes you, what, what is it that makes somebody deplorable? Is it that, you know, you again, you want border security or you want tax right. reform or whatever. That makes you deplorable in the idea, in the eyes of the left? Give me a break, Diana, you know? Right. And Jeff, just one other thing, what would be deplorable is if we were attacked by North Korea and Joy's family or child were killed by some nuclear weapon, yeah, it, that it, would be deplorable. Right. It, it, yeah. Th- thanks for what. No, you're exa- what, what? Right. What an interesting thing. Okay. Here you have it, and we've talked about this before. I actually think the president. Well, I wouldn't have chosen some of the language. I thought he did a really good job with his speech to the United Nations. I think he explained the concept of America first. And yes, I, I think he. We have negotiated and negotiated and negotiated through president after president with North Korea, and we've gotten nowhere. We've gotten nowhere, plus the matters have gotten worse because North Korea has ratcheted up its nuclear program. They're sending ballistic missiles, for God's sake, over Japan. And so now you have a president who's talking tough, and then you have some of the media elite and the leftists. Oh, you're just deplorable if you think we should say these things about North Korea. Well, you make a good point, Diana. Okay, after... After we let this crazy person, you know, drop a bomb on South Korea or Japan or, you know, figure out how to get one of those missiles to travel to the West Coast. Okay, who's going to be deplorable then? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Gary in McGuanago. Gary, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. 
Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? What what my thoughts are, just like what happened with Walker. They came and they stormed the Capitol. They they sat there and protested. And uh, what did that do for Walker? It got him reelected. Right, made him more popular than ever, yep. More popular than ever. And, And I think the same thing will happen with Trump. The more violent that they get and the more ridiculous they get, people are just going to say, hey, forget it. I don't have nothing to do with these idiots. Well, I mean, I do think there's a backlash. You know, I, I think there are I think there are parallels and it happens every time. And, and the right does this, too, by the way, every time you, you overplay your hand. Look, I understand that you can have legitimate policy disagreements and you know and one of the interesting things that's going to play out over the course of the next election is you're going to have more and more of the left that are pushing for the whole concept of single payer you know we essentially want medicare for all i personally think that that would be disastrous but we're going to have that debate and and you can you can disagree about these different types of things but at the same time you you've got now and particularly you're seeing it from the left that you know and you had Okay, Jerry Brown, um, the governor of California, formerly known as Moonbeam Jerry Brown, you know, he, he's out there saying, well, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, if you're a Trumpite, you are a cave dweller. Okay, so it's your basket. Of, I don't know. Are you living in a cave or are you deplorable? Or are you a deplorable who lives in, in a cave? And, and apparently in the bubble that's out there, they think that this is how you win hearts and minds. And meanwhile, the president's approval ratings continue to climb. Now, like I say, I happen to believe polls. I think it's got a long way to go. But. People are starting to come around. Republicans are starting to come home. And this idea that, you know, we're going to succeed by, again, labeling Trump supporters as being deplorables, eh, I just, it it ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. And you're right when you talk about the Scott Walker situation. I think there was a huge backlash to that. I think people who might not otherwise have supported Act 10 looked at the people that were protesting and looked at the things that were being said and just came to the conclusion that, I just don't want to be part of this particular club, and and they fought back. And I think the more and more you see stuff like this going on, the more and more Trump's numbers are probably going to go up. It's 1124. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1126. Where's the morning going? 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How far did the Packers fall this week in Wayne Larravee's NFL Power Poll? Get the answer in his newest blog post or hear his take in the play-by-play podcast with Wayne Larravee presented by your local Chevy dealer all on WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. When you're there, check out the various podcasts that are available. We've got a number of podcasts from voices you don't hear all the time on the radio. They're very interesting. In addition, you can download the podcast of this program, all the shows that you hear here on WTMJ. And I know a lot of people check out my show. I very much appreciate that. Um, All right. The Foxconn is now, of course, a, a done deal. The location has not been announced yet, but we know it's going to be in Mount Pleasant. Um, it was interesting. Channel 4 had a story the other day about how most people in Mount Pleasant, most people in this area are thrilled because what's happening is you have you have land that is now selling 
five, 10, 15 times what it's really worth because you know Foxconn is there and the developers, they're, they're grabbing up the, the land. Now, this does mean that some people are going to have to you know, leave their homes and um, or just simply, I guess, refuse to sell if they don't get enough money. But it was interesting. I was looking at the story on Channel 4, and they quote this one guy who, who moved into the area two years ago and supposedly bought his dream home with uh, plans to retire, and now he's worried he's going to have to sell his home to Foxconn. You work all your life to get to a point where you can finally, as a man, provide a home you've always dreamed your wife would love. We found it. It's hard for us to lose it, and that's what hurts the most. Well, okay, I, I, I listen to this, and I admit I kind of roll my eyes when I hear this stuff because, I don't know, um, if somebody is going to come in and offer you five times what your property is worth simply because you're going to have this facility that's going to be incredibly good for the region and the state, and, oh, my gosh, you know, they're going to give you five times what your property is worth. Well, there's a lot of stuff that I might be sympathetic to, and I understand that there's a lot of injustice in the world. But if you've been living in a house for two years, I understand you like the house. You're probably not going to like the neighborhood anymore because it's going to be changing dramatically. And they are going to pay you a lot more money than you paid for your house. And you're going to walk away rich simply because you made the decision to buy in this particular location as opposed to 15 miles away. I, I, I'm sorry that you might have to move. I, I, I am but I, I would guess that that check you're going to get at the real estate closing, that's probably going to, well, uh, dry a lot of the tears. Most people, in fairness, in the area are, are just saying, hey, this is the greatest thing in the world because they understand that they're going to be paid a lot of money for their property. And even though maybe all things considered, they wouldn't move, being paid a lot of money kind of, um, again, it, it takes the pain, it takes the sting away. All right, when we come back, it is that time of the week. We put away some of the heavy lifting. We do something fun, and this is going to be an extremely fun edition of Pop Culture Corner. It's 1134, Jeff Wetner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, for the next 25 minutes, you get to check out my talents at multitasking. Um, we do this this time every Thursday. We kind of put aside the heavy lifting and we stop talking about the budget. Matter of fact, I'm going to talk a lot about the budget vetoes tomorrow. We'll discuss whether Governor Walker did the right thing. So that's all coming up. But we carve out one or two segments of the program at the end of the day, Thursday, for a segment I call Pop Culture Corner, where we talk about eh, some fun stuff. Sometimes we talk about TV, sometimes movies, sometimes sports, sometimes food, sometimes travel. Um, today I want to talk a little bit about music. I've, I've actually, I, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, about a week or so ago, Walter Becker passed away. And you might say, okay, who is, is Walter Becker? You might not recognize Walter Becker. But, um, you might not recognize the name Walter Becker, but Walter Becker was one of the founding members of the group Steely Dan. Matter of fact, him and his partner Donald Fagan, they were Steely Dan. Steely Dan, I, I think a band that if you if you came of age during the, the late sixties, certainly in the seventies, you remember a lot of the great tunes that they came out with. And and Walter Becker had passed away. I um I, I was thinking about some of the really I was thinking about, you know, whenever I hear about an artist who's passed away, inevitably I go back and I listen to some of the tunes and things like that. And I, I was just thinking about how many, you know, great 
songs that, that Steely Dan came out with, you know, in their heyday, which was the 70s and things like that. And I, I mean, I know they were touring up until recently. And I, I was thinking, you know, they have some really, really good albums. And then that got me thinking about, again, some of the, the great albums, but, but also the albums and again, I understand that we don't have albums now, technically, bear with me, whether it's the CDs or whatever. And I was thinking about CDs, and again, we call them Desert Island Discs. It's the, it is the album. You are on the Desert Island. The cruise ship has gone down, and all you were able to salvage was the generator, the refrigerator full of beer, and the turntable, the CD player, the MP3 player, whatever. And you only had a chance, because by the time you got all the rest of that stuff together, you only had a chance to grab one record, one album, and you're going to be stuck on that desert island for a while, maybe a long while. And it's the record, it is the album that you're going to have to listen to for a long time. That is Desert Island Discs, and that is what our pop culture corner for the week is. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, your Desert Island Disc, that one album that you just, you could listen to forever. And maybe maybe you've got that one album that you're already wearing out that you do listen to it forever, even though you're not on the Desert Island. Now, we also... We um, put this segment up on Facebook Live, so you can follow. Go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We've turned on the lights in the studio, so you can participate via Facebook Live and watch radio on the live stream. You can text us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, my advice in these segments, go with your first instinct. You don't need to overthink it. And uh, call early, because our phone lines do gen- tend to jam up. Your Desert Island Disc you can also play along on Twitter. We do that as well. So we've got Twitter. We've got the talk and text line. We've got Facebook Live. We've got email. And we've got the phone lines, 414-799-1620. We are back with your Desert Island Discs. The reason I was thinking Steely Dan is Asha. You know, that, that would be one of... That would be one of mine. It's not necessarily my very top one, but it's certainly one of the ones that I would consider. All right. Um, your album, your Desert Island Disc, we're back to discuss in just a moment. It's 1138. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. We will get to as many calls as we possibly can. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Pop Culture Corner. We are live streaming the segment on Facebook Live. Go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Uh, topic is Desert Island Discs. You're stuck on that desert island. The ship is going down. You've grabbed the generator. You've grabbed the refrigerator. You've grabbed the turntable or the CD player or whatever. And and you only have time to grab one album. What is that album? Okay, let's go to our text line quick. Little Feet, Waiting for Columbus. Can't go wrong with anything from Little Feet. Courtney says, Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell, the original. Um, he was a strange guy, but, but yes, he is a strange guy, but yeah, I love that record. Brian in Milwaukee says, Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. Um, yeah, that can't go wrong with Pink Floyd. Um, Todd says, "You two, the Joshua Tree." Yeah, that's I think definitely their their best one. Um, let's see. 
Bobby says Tom Petty, Wildflowers. That is an outstanding one. Uh, Kevin says Jimmy Buffett, Feeding Frenzy. Well, I'm not going to say no to any Jimmy Buffett tunes, but um, I actually, A1A would probably be mine if you're going to look at Buffett. Pink Floyd, The Wall. That's from Scott and Delavan. I actually hate Pink Floyd, The Wall, just because when I was in law school, I, I shared an apartment with my dear friend, and the apartment next to ours it really wasn't rented by anybody. It was um, it was a bunch of guys that worked second shift at this railroad, and they they'd use it as a party house. So they'd get off at midnight, and like three or four times nights a week, they'd all come over and they'd have this wild party from like midnight till three. And they started it off by playing Pink Floyd, The Wall, with the helicopter. Of course, I'm in law school. I'm trying to get some sleep. Wake you up. So four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Brenda on the northwest side. Brenda, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Brenda. The first album that came to mind was uh, Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Um, I think a lot of people can argue that that was their best ever. That you know, Sgt. Pepper gets a lot of um, gets a lot of love, but that that you know, Rubber Soul or Revolver were perhaps the two best. And the song I love is Norwegian Wood. Oh, that's a that's a very pretty one. No, there's no question yeah. about. It. Can't uh, thanks for calling. You can't go wrong with the Beatles. And like I say, Rubber Soul clearly one of those. Let's talk to Chris on the North Side. Chris, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Uh, Elvis Presley, Aloha from Hawaii. That was one where he would. That was what. That was his comeback album, wasn't it? No, that was the nineteen sixty nine. Uh, Madison Square Garden album. I'm thinking of the, this was the live satellite broadcast. Okay, from, right. Uh, I think it was Honolulu. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I remember as a kid. I remember that they were advertising that. So I don't think I've ever heard the album, but it's pretty good, huh? I've worn out two of them already, <laughs> two vinyl copies of it. So I'm on my third. <laughs> All right, I, obviously, this is a stupid question. Then you were obviously an Elvis man. I am an Elvis Presley fan. Yes. Yeah, got it. It's, it's, it's that's one of the lines out of the movie Pulp, Pulp Fiction. It's like, okay, you you can either be an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy, but you can't be both. Elvis guys can like the Beatles. Beatles guys can like Elvis, but you you can't be both an Elvis guy and a Beatles guy. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure which I would be. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You're on the desert island, Dan and Rippin. Dan, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. DJ Ray Vaughn, live alive. Okay. I can't, claim, I can't claim to have seen his last concert. I saw the night before. I, every time Stevie Ray was in Wisconsin, I even saw him play the B&B in Oshkosh. Okay. The man was a musical god. And so you would follow you would follow him around, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he was the man. Yeah, he no really, no question about it. Thanks for calling. You, know, you, you can't go wrong with anything with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Let's talk to Mary on the south side. Mary, good morning. Good morning. I would say Carol King and Tapestry <laughs> um, would be the album I would like. Every woman that I knew in college had <laughs> Carol King Tapestry. You know, I so I mean, every woman I dated, every woman who was a friend of mine, every woman I knew had Carol King's Tapestry. <laughs> so now I, you know how old I am. <laughs> well, well, but, that. I know how old, I mean, I know how old, these were women I was dating in college, so it makes me that old, too. <laughs> no, thanks. It's a great album, but thank you. Thanks, and she, and she was just, she was just incredibly entertaining. There's, there's just, uh, but that was, that was the big album again, and I, I, I'd have to look exactly when it came out, but I swear, that every, every woman I knew in college, that's what they, um, that's what they had. Let's talk to Tim in McGuanago. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. 
I would pick John Prine's anthology. Okay, um, I am a huge, you know, John Prine, I think, is one of the truly great American songwriters. Um, And and I I try never to miss a chance to see him because I don't know how much longer he's going to be around, you know. After the battles with cancer, I'm trying to why why anthology? I, I've got all the John Prine records and I love them. Why why anthology as opposed to some of the others? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Practicality. <laughs> okay, fair fair enough. No, no, I I, I get it. No, thanks. It covers the full gambit. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, it covers them all. No, thanks for call. I'm trying to think of. Um, oh, I think my first. I, I, I think I would say Sweet Revenge if I was going to have a John Prine album. Um, let's see. Let's go back to our text line. I'll go jazz. Miles Davis, kind of blue. Um, that's from Danny. Um, that's from uh, Dan. Danny on the east side says, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band um, by the Beatles. Well, again, you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with the Beatles. There's no question about that um let's see 414-799-1620 let's talk to judy in wauwatosa judy you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning i've been driving around I, my dog at the groomers just listening to <laughs> your programs thank you forever and i love it and i love the beatles too but i just um joni mitchell is my girl um okay so it's it's I, I'm a big Joni Mitchell fan too. Is there one particular album, or is, is that an album? It you would... know, I like Blue, but the one I'm trying to think of with uh, Taxi Cab, you know, okay. is that yeah. Ladies of the Canyon? That might be Ladies of yeah, the Canyon. That is. Okay, I, that I... would be my favorite. And when it, in the '70s, my father, or early '70s, he, and he was a big music buff, jazz and stuff. But he's like, turn that Holland music off. <laughs> you, know, you know, I should always went up morning, morning top. Right. And she was just so great, and just. I think as a person, and she, I love the way her lyrics oh, yeah. um, told the story of her life and everything she did, you know. I was reading an interview, and I'm, I'm trying to think. It wasn't with Neil Young. It might have. I, I forget. It, it was it was one of the Crosby, Still, the National Young guys, and I forget which one. Yeah, she dated them. Yeah, <laughs> she dated them all, yes. Um, a lot of guys. Right. Um, and, but he was talking about how he he just she was the most prolific songwriter ever because they, they'd be on the bus you know going from from show to show and uh-huh. she would just be sitting there and she'd be just taking notes and she'd have her notepad and she'd be writing stuff uh, and you know she would turn it into these amazing songs. So thanks for the call. I'm a, I'm just a huge uh, Joni Mitchell fan. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see. We've got Kathy in Madison. Kathy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Love your show, Jeff. Thank you. Okay, your Desert Island disc. You're stuck on that Desert Island. Which is it? What are you going to watch? What are you going to listen to? Um, Hotel California by the Eagles. Okay. Okay. Um, there's, there's nothing like the um, guitar battle between Joe Walsh and Don Felder in that song. Right. Right. I... Um, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I think I might like some of the Eagles' earlier stuff a little bit better, but that's... That's that's an incredible album. I mean, I, that album cover. I still, you know, and anybody that was a child of that particular era remembers that album cover and just just beautiful photography and all. Are, were you an Eagles fan in general? Yes, I mean anything by the Eagles, I, I absolutely love. Did, They're just uh, phenomenal. Did you see that 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 four hour special they did on the history of the Eagles? It was on like Showtime or whatever. Yes, yes, oh. yes, we did. <laughs> and uh, I was fortunate enough to actually see them down in um, Orlando when they first opened up um, where the Orlando basketball players right. play. 
Um, they were the first opening band, and we were lucky enough to see them, and they were amazing. Yeah, it's I, I understand. You know, I thought after Glenn Fry passed away that they might hang it up, but they're they're out touring again. They've got Glenn Fry's son and. Um, I want to say Vince Gill. I could be wrong. It's some it's somebody that's 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 touring with him, like that's doing the Glenn Fry part. But it's not going to be the same. Just not going to be the same. No, it's not. But I would still go see them again if I had the chance. Well, just to see Don Henley. I mean, Don Henley is an amazing, just an amazing performer, and that in and of itself. Now, thanks for calling. Again, you you can't go wrong with the Eagles. Um, let's talk to, uh, let's see, Dennis on the South Side. Dennis, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dennis. Elvin Bishop, and the album is called Raisin Hell. And the reason why I like it is I, I really love bands that have got a real strong horn section to them. Right. You know, like Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, groups like that. In, in this permutation of his band, his horn section is phenomenal on this album. It's a live album, and the very first piece on it is, is, is an instrumental piece that will just blow you away if you've never heard it. Um, I can't, you know, I'm trying to place it. I mean, I, I like Elvin Bishop, I mean, you know, I'm, but I'm trying to place that album. I'm, um, but okay, right. Raising Hell, that's it. R- Raising Hell is, is the name of the album, and that's, that's the title song on the, on the very first cut. Okay. But, by the way, the, uh, um, the, we were talking about uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Joni Mitchell. Right. Uh, she, she wrote the song Woodstock, and they did a cover of it, and David Crosby said, yeah, she wrote a nice song, but we made it a boy song. <laughs> that's that's right. If they, you know, I, I will tell you. You know, you, you talk about another another one of my albums. And I, again, I, I Steely Dan, Aja, I, probably Jimmy Buffett's A One A, just because I'm I'm that guy. But you know, if you want to talk about another album that I have probably listened to over a hundred times, it would be the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. It was it's their live album. It's their double record that came out. Um, that's. That's certainly one, and Woodstock would be one of the songs that's um, on that as well. Okay, let's go. Facebook Live. We Let's see. Bill says, Roy Orbison's Black and White Night. Uh, Jason, we got a lot of Elvis people today. Elvis's Greatest Hits. Um, let's see. Chris says, The Dave Matthews Band, um, their live record. That's, you, you can't go wrong with any of this stuff. And that, that is, that's why I love doing these segments, because it's the... Um, you know, music is one of these common appeals. It's one of these generic appeals. It doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat or independent. I mean, we, we are kind of united by entertainment. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff that ends up being out there. And candidly, we've just kind of uh, we've just kind of scratched the surface. Joe in Plymouth says the, the last waltz by the band. I'm a huge fan of the band, actually, and I have all their albums that not, the last waltz might not necessarily be my favorite one. Uh, let's see. Derek in Germantown says Neil Diamond, Hot August Night. Um, yes, when 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 I was in college, all the girls had um, all all the young women had Carol King's Tapestry, and a lot of the guys had Hot August Night by Neil Diamond. I remember that one as well. Okay, we could do this for another half hour, but. I got to get out of here because Scafidi and Bill Stad are coming in. You can continue the conversation on both Facebook Live. Plus, we will put up the segment uh, for people who haven't had a chance to watch it yet. In addition, um, it's up on Twitter as well, and um, also on our text line. So. Uh, We do this this time every Thursday, try to have a little bit of fun. It's Pop Culture Corner. 